Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelves. We're going to try to read, even though today we had an audition, which was really exciting because I haven't had one in three years, which was before this podcast existed. Yeah, that, uh, that was a lot of song. I wrote a song for everyone. They should be very, very grateful. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Uh, and particularly grateful because you writing a song in that particular style never, ever, ever happens. And definitely not every single week at it about this same time. Definitely not something I do on a regular basis. I, but yes, we uh, we are here. We're going to do a, do a podcast for you. And... Uh, Life is slowly returning to a norm. Yeah. Yeah, it was like literally my first in-person audition in over three years, which was crazy to think about. Like, I was like, wait, what? Because I've done some online, but like all the jobs I've done before the pandemic was like almost seven months. And then after was like... That I I knew that job was coming, and then I was I started to do Zoom auditionings, and then I went back out there. So like, yeah, I haven't had the opportunity, and it was really fun today. Yeah. I had a good time. It's, it's a return to return to the acting business the way you're used to it a little bit. The way I was trained to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like actually what I like learned how to do. <laughs> um, though I've gotten okay at the like. The self tapes and the and the zooming, but like yeah, and I of course much prefer the self tape auditions because what it means is um, I don't have to talk to anyone. <laughs> I like talking to people. I'm charming. <laughs> yeah, I. Feel so like, are you? You just don't like it? Yeah, I do. I do notice though that I have booked a lot more jobs off of self tapes than I ever did off of in person auditions, which leads me to wonder if. I'm actually not very good in person. I think you are good in person. I think you don't think you are. Okay, so I'm just really bad at meeting people. There you go. A lot of people are. Yeah, which is why I like video submissions, because okay. I get to audition without meeting anyone. That's fair. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I did today. So I'm feeling good, and we had a friend in town. That was nice. We yeah, had our first cool. house guest. First house guest. Hey, Noel, I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but you're getting a shout out now, which means you're going to be tagged on social media. So you better at least listen to this first four minutes of this episode. <laughs> this is how we get listeners. <laughs> we just say our friends' names. No, but it was great to have Noel here. Just start here. tagging people in episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have to listen to see what we're saying like, about what them. is going on? Yeah. Uh, and we got to have dinner with Elijah and his wife, Allison. And, uh, yeah, so it was a little, Iowa, little Iowa City cohort dinner. And then uh, Noel stayed with us a couple days while she checked out Philly. So Tune in next um, week to see if you get tagged in this opening segment. Ooh, that's a new game. That's <laughs> fun. Well, I have been invited to trivia on Wednesday evening by one of my friends here in Philly. So Ooh. I bet they're going to get a tag. But I can't say their name now because I don't want to tag no, them. No, 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 no. It has to be after the trivia yeah. so that next week we can 
talk about how trivia went. Yes. See if you guys win. Yeah, definitely. Um, pub quiz or quizzo, as it's called in in Philly and South Jersey. So Philly, Philly is Philly is the thing. Welcome to Philadelphia or wherever you're listening from. <laughs> <laughs> I feel weird because like I started my snatch diet, which sounds dirty. Um, <laughs> I like a snatch diet. <laughs> that sounds filthy. Uh, no, I st- there's a program at the gym oh, I belong no, to. Oh, <laughs> no, I can't. No, just start over. I have to I have to take that out because that sounded way too, like, douchey masculine. Uh, I can't leave yeah. that in. You can leave in. So, so <laughs> I'm I, sorry. I, That's not me. I was making a joke. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, no, like, I started the snatch diet, which... This sounds disgusting, but uh, it, it or not disgusting. It just sounds vulgar, which it really isn't. It's just a diet um, through a program I do uh, with my gym up in New York. And so I've uh, eaten really healthy today. I'm very hydrated and I've been watching Parks and Rec and I had that audition. So I just have a lot of like a lot of energy. And we're probably going to have to break recording four times for pee breaks. I have peed so many times today already and I'm planning to finish this water bottle at least like halfway through this recording so so get oh and add a sparkly too <laughs> I'm so hydrated <laughs> um but yeah I'm just a little loopy so I'm glad I'm not reading I just get to react <laughs> so that's where we are today how you doing today listener you you here you're ready for some of the the usual banter silliness and fun uh, for those of you who might be new to Campfire Classics, and with any luck, there are at least a couple of you. In fact, with any luck, there are a couple new people every week. Uh, what we do here at Campfire Classics is read short stories that we pull out of the public domain. And while we're reading them, we will look up strange words that we don't know. We'll call out antiquated racism and misogyny and we laugh at outdated penis jokes well most of them actually aren't penis jokes we just think they are (laughs) i don't know it's entirely possible that sir arthur conan doyle was super into dick euphemisms i mean i would not be surprised shakespeare was and you know agatha liked her dick jokes (laughs) well she did make fun of men a lot Mm -hmm. Yes. So speaking of dicks, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we we do that, what you were just talking about, kind of. Uh, but we also do other things like little side side hustles. Side quests side, is, is what, side they're, quests. what they're called in the, the RPG world. Oh, okay. Side quests. All right. And we've it's, been watching the Willow TV it's, show. It's so. tangents off the main quest. Okay. This is the tangent off the main quest if you are a D&D player in the world. Um, uh, we have been doing this segment called Clown Corner, Beep. whether people like it or not. <laughs> And people uh, do. People do. They've been saying they do. So we're going to keep doing it. Um, and I got a lot of slack for making Clown Corner Santa a couple of weeks ago. And I was like. It's because Santa's not a clown. But uh, I know. <laughs> I was just trying to be like festive. So suck it to everyone who hated that. And I will now do a clown. <laughs> I just Sorry, said, mom. I'm sure she didn't mean I that. <laughs> Oh, your mom didn't like it. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> I think she merely pointed out that Santa is not a clown. Santa's Santa is, but Santa's scary. Anyway, there was a reason I did it. Anyway, so uh, we're doing the clown corner. 
So this week, how I've been finding this clown corner thing is I usually just Google like weird clown facts or like something and then something pops up and that makes me do research about that. So this is the phrase that made me research this clown that we will speak of this week. Important question before we get going. Um, did you Google it or did you Yahoo it? I Googled because fuck Yahoo. It's still doing it. No <laughs> one reached out to tell me how to fix it. And I've mentioned to a few people in person that it's not working. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's weird. So I Googled because, yes, Yahoo is still my default. But I Google and then I have to go up to the thing and type in www.google.com. But, you know, it's it's worth it for you listeners. So this is what I found on an article that I pulled up that was you like don't trust results from Yahoo. I don't. <laughs> it's just wrong. Uh, so there it was like thirty-eight mysterious or thirty-eight interesting clown facts is basically what came up, and I was like, okay, and I started scrolling, and some of them were things we've talked about. Some of them were like, I don't want to do that. This one was just the killer clown. <laughs> All no, right, but. What makes it fun is it is not what you think it is. So we're going to do a little history of this clown because he's actually quite famous. His name is Jean-Gaspard de Bourreau. Are you sure? Uh, It's (laughs) French. So, oh, no. It's French. So if you want to read that real quick. Yeah. De Bourreau. De Bourreau. De Bourreau. See, I wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Look at that. So he's a very, very famous clown, actually. Deborah also spelled many other ways, and he changed his name. His name used to be Jan Casper Dvorak. So uh, he was actually born in 1796. Jesus, I know, in Bohemia, which is now the Czech Republic. Um, And he had a very long career in Paris, specifically. And what he is known for, and I love that this is what he's known for because this is kind of what my uh, my graduate thesis was was the Pierrot character. Um, yeah, which is like the white face clown, like all in white, um, with the black buttons, with the black and buttons. Of- yeah. And so what Jean Gaspard Deborah is uh, famous for is kind of taking that from the Harlequin and the uh, Commedia dell'arte and making it very prominent and kind of making it the main character as opposed to the, the one of the side clowns. Sure, 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 sure. And then murdering people. Well, we'll talk about that, but (laughs) he didn't... Okay, so he was born to a family of acrobats, so he was born into the circus, um, and he joined the Theater des Funables. The Theater des Funables. (laughs) It's French. I don't know. I don't know why I do this to myself. It looks like Funambules. Funambules. (laughs) Oh, uh, Théâtre des Funambules. Yeah, Funambules. <laughs> Théâtre des Funambules, or the Theater of Tightrope Walkers. There you go. So his family were acrobats, acrobats and tightrope walkers, which he trained in, but that wasn't his thing. So he uh, started clowning and uh, with this company, and he worked for this theater, by the way, for his entire life. Like, he he branched out and did some film and stuff like that once he became famous. But he never left this theater. He worked there his whole life. So he basically changed this clown that we all know. It's I mean, it's a non-speaking clown, by the way. So it is a mime in a, in a sense. Fucking French mimes. <laughs> exactly. French mime. Uh, he changed this robust simpleton of the Commedia dell'arte figure to a more poignant, like, intelligent, 
clown that was dressed in the baggy white costume who had a very childlike manner but was often very optimistic yet disappointed lover. So it was like this very like melancholy, romantic, sweet, like you 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 cheer for this figure. You want this figure to do well. And that's not what it was originally as. So he really created this um, and did it for decades, decades and decades. Um, he was in a very famous movie in France um, called The Children of Paradise. Um, it's a poetic, realistic film. And Children of Paradise is actually talking about the people that would come, the people um, like the groundlings. Okay, sure, sure, sure. But they stood up, they sat up in paradise, which is what they called the upper balcony. Oh, so the opposite of the ground. Yes, it's like, so in like they, so the, it was about like the people. Um, uh, He went by the stage name Baptiste sometimes. So you may have heard him as that if you have the clown knowledge in your life. Um, But he did this for his whole life. He, audiences loved him. Critics alike loved him. He is considered the sixth most famous actors of the Czech Republic to this day. All right. Um, so we still don't know why he's a like a killer. Well, here we're getting there. We're, okay, we're getting there. So after he after he died, I'm when the head you, when the headline is killer, that's the only thing I'm thinking. Well, I'm about. giving you some interesting information. Yes, he's you absolutely are. You absolutely are, and it's great. I'm just reminding the listener, not that they're likely to have forgotten, that this man is a murderer. Yes. Yeah, so the title of the reason the reason I picked this was because it said. The Killer Clown. And I was like, oh, shit. And so I read this little blurb. Here we go. Jean Gaspard Deborah performed regularly as a mime in France the first half of the 1800s. One day in 1836, he was out with his wife enjoying a stroll on the street when a youth started heckling them. Now... Fucking hecklers. Just don't do it, y'all. Fucking youths. (laughs) The youths. The youths. Um... So most performers like of the time would just like, you know, keep walking like people like make like to make fun of the circus performers, you know, and stuff from whatever and um, actors. And sure. Whatnot. Come look at the freaks. Um, so the, the youth kept going and like was following him and his wife and was being very aggressive and was saying a lot of like nasty things about him and was kept calling him like mime and stuff. Which is, is mime a slur? I guess. Oh, that was loud. Um, is that your phone or your computer? It's my computer. Um, so he kept calling him like mime and whatever. And so he decided he had enough and he gave the boy a whack with his cane. Like he liked to get him away because he, sure, yeah. he was uncomfortable. His wife was there. Like he was trying to, you know, and everything. Unfortunately, Plus it's just fun to whack kids with canes. Well, yes. So unfortunately, that whack killed the boy. <laughs> Because people don't do well when they get smacked in the head in the you wrong should, way. You should never whack a kid so hard he dies. Yeah. So despite having clearly used unnecessary force to deal with someone who was just verbally harassing, uh, his celebrity got him off completely scot-free. In fact, the true spectacle of his trial was not so much about the killing, but the mob of fans hoping to get a chance to hear him talk. Because he didn't talk. Oh, shit. Did he? I did not say. (laughs) But I'm assuming because, like, it was not televised and stuff. Like, even if it was, 
even if people were in the courtroom, I don't know if he ever testified for himself. I couldn't find anything on that. And I'm sure people were coming out of the courtroom being like, I heard his voice. It was magical whether he talked or not. So um, in my head, he sound he spoke French. Yes. But with a Joe Pesci accent. <laughs> and that's why he became a mime. <laughs> It was just like, this doesn't make sense. I, we can't do this. Like, no, your voice is just too, like, it doesn't work. It's wrong. So he created this, like, very charming character. So, so basically, yes. So he is a murderer. <laughs> he killed somebody. Uh, I'm going to go with manslaughter. It's manslaughter. This was not premeditated. Not, not premeditated. And but he definitely not for nothing. Killed somebody. But that kid Deserved sounds like it. a fucker. Oh, that that kid sounds like an asshole. It's like I did not go so far as to say deserved it. I just want to point out that one of the hosts of this show just said that kid deserved it, and it was not me. Well, you know, I'm just sick of people thinking it is. Yeah, hey, fucking actors, they're stupid. You're that's, stupid. That's um, that's that's really weird though, because um, like these days. Nobody uh, gets off of charges just because they're famous. And on that note, exactly. So, so there. That is the the uh, the story of Jean Gaspard Deborah or Baptiste, as he went by as his stage name often, especially in film. Or the killer clown. Or the killer clown. Or the killer clown. His character was the so the baby killer. Oh my god, that just took it to a whole new place. Baptiste the baby killer. Oh my god. In theaters this March. I think Ken's going into tabloid uh, stories. <laughs> tabloid journalism. That's yep. That's the new podcast. We're gonna do a tabloid podcast. Just read National Enquirer. Oh my god. In a scary voice. <laughs> I'm. Sh- I, you know what? I bet that exists. I'm not gonna lie. Think so. I. Maybe. National Enquirer, the audiobook. The audiobook. <laughs> and get go back to like the eighties and get the, like the really crazy ones where yep. it's like Bat Boy. Get the and Bat stuff. Boy oh, uh, yeah. uh, uh, issue. Yeah. yeah. Um well we'll look into that. That's kind of what we do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so again, to finish up the the clown corner, uh the character was so popular that he created this uh uh Paro or Pierrot or Poirot. That's yeah. the best you've ever pronounced his name. I well, it, it's Pierrot, Pierrot, Pierrot. Like it's not pirate, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The pirate clown. The pirate. <laughs> Jeez, this has gone off the fucking rails. Pierrot. I, I. It was Pierrot. Yeah. Pierrot. 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 Yeah. Um, but. He was so popular that his son Charles actually continued playing the character for many, many years past oh, his death. We had, we had another clown mm-hmm. that did that. Yeah. Oh, Weary Willie. Yeah. Weary Willie was another yeah. one that became a legacy. And so the he son was, brought him on. Yeah. He, he was the one where the dad was like, "You're fucking stealing my clown, you son of a bitch." Yeah, yeah. We're never talking again. Whereas it seems like this one was a, a, a tribute to his yeah. father. Um, but yeah, so that was Clown Corner and the Killer Clown, um, who is actually famous for playing the sweetest, most like endearing clown that could ever be. Yeah, it's always the quiet ones that snap. <laughs> it is. It's also, funny because he was a mime. Watch out for people with canes. Watch out for mimes with canes, y'all. <laughs> if it's a real cane, it'll probably kill you because he's used to swinging around a fake one. So. <laughs> And apparently mime is an ethnic slur, so, like, don't, don't fuck with that. 
pretty good general rule, I'd say. Don't be mean to people with canes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's probably true, actually. Yeah. And if you see me walking down the road with a cane, just know there's a sword there's a inside. Sword inside. <laughs> I got there before you. <laughs> I knew I it. know. It's because you jumped my timing. <laughs> God damn it. Anyway. That was a special clown corner. Uh Thanks for attending clown college with us. But that's not what we really do. No. I already described what we Sorry, my lips got ahead of my tongue and the whole language thing got confused. That happens. That's weird. That's not what we really do. I've already described what we really do. And so, as a result, we're going to just move on to what we really do right now without too much preamble. Except first, because Heather has selected a story for me to read this week, she's going to give a few fun facts about something. But I don't know what, because I don't know what story she picked or what author she picked or anything ever. Uh, so this this week we are going to uh, loop back to an author we have not read since episode 42. Which was a long time long ago. A long time ago. Like a year and a half ago. Oh yeah, we were deep in the pandemic. Like, All right. Yeah. Uh, I do believe it was Easter week of the pandemic. Okay. According to my re-listening to fu- like the fun facts of that episode. Okay. It is Nathaniel Hawthorne. Oh, yes. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So um, if you want to listen to the bibliography of like, or the bi- not the bibliography. The bibliography? Do we just read everything he ever wrote? <laughs> yes. It's uh, just a list of all of his books. It's a really long episode. Um, if you want to hear the biography section of his uh his fun facts go back to episode 42 uh it's in it's titled nice hat bra oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, i remember that one and the story was the minister's black veil yep yep yep, yep. yep. so uh check that out uh the beginning of that gives you lots of fun facts so i'm just going to give you some like random fun facts about him that's uh, a weird fucking story it was yeah it was uh well and like you'll remember he was like he was in the transcendentalist movement just because he had a crush. He was in love with some woman in it, so he joined it and yep. then didn't really give a shit about it. Yep. He had a lot of very famous writer friends. Um, but there's th- three... He's part of the revolution. Why? Boobs. Boobs. Yep. Um, you know, weirder <laughs> things have gotten me involved in things. <laughs> um so three really interesting facts about Nathaniel Hawthorne that aren't even necessarily about Nathaniel Hawthorne. So Hawthorne's youngest daughter has been proposed for sainthood. Oh. So Rose Hawthorne, who was initially had initially pursued a literary career like her father, converted to Roman Catholicism with her husband when they got married. Following the death of her five-year-old boy and her husband, I'm assuming from like something like scarlet fever or something like or that. Black widow or, syndrome. Oh, no, I don't think that's why, considering what she's about to do. She moved into a tenement in an impoverished community in New York City and began nursing incurable cancer patients. Damn. So she basically like threw away all the wealth and all the stuff and was just like, I want to give back to the world because she lost so much. And uh, she joined a religious order and then became a nun. Uh, Mother Mary Alfonso. In 1900, she co-founded the Dominican Sisters of Hawthorne to continue her work with impoverished cancer patients. 
In 2003, she was nominated for sainthood. So, all right. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, so, Hawthorne did eventually die, um, which, I again, I talk about in the last episode. I don't believe- Most people have. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so, he was actually buried in uh, what is known as Arthur's... Arthur's Arthur's Ridge, and it's in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in Concord, Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. all right. So there's actually quite a few authors buried there, including Poe, I believe, is also buried there, uh, amongst a few others. Cool. Uh, I just learned recently that the Baltimore Ravens are the Ravens because Edgar Allan Poe died in Baltimore. And I told him that is... I had, that I makes, had no idea, but that's so fucking cool. Yeah, I was like, that literally makes them the coolest football team ever because they're, like, named... After a poet and a writer. Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) It's awesome. Um, Anyway, uh, so when he died, a former president of the United States discovered his body. So Hawthorne was friends with a lot of high-end people and like, you know, whatever. Uh, So he was in failing health in the spring of 1864 as likely a result of like uh, gastrointestinal cancer, they believe, is what he died of. And Hawthorne's old college friend, former President Franklin Pierce, oh, all right, traveled with him to New Hampshire's White Mountains with the hope that the region's like air and like hot springs and stuff, you know, could be an elixir for this. On the evening of May 18th, inside this hotel in Plymouth, New Hampshire, Hawthorne retired early after a dinner of toast and tea. During the night, Pierce woke up to check on his friend, just as he knew he wasn't feeling well, and the former president placed his hand upon Hawthorne's forehead and found that he had died. So Pierce's presence fulfilled a passage of Hawthorne's novel, The Blythedale Romance, quote, happy the man that has such a friend beside him when he comes to die. So that's, it's bittersweet, but lovely. And like his friend was there and, and it was yeah. former president, which it's like, what? Not not for nothing, but you don't feel for a pulse in the forehead. Well, it was the 1800s. We don't know what the fuck they were doing. <laughs> like, so on that same note of his passing, since I did his living biography when we were um, doing the last episode about him, Hawthorne was separated from his wife for 142 years. What you say? How could that be? Seven years after Sophia Hawthorne buried her husband in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, she passed away in London. Uh, She was interned uh, an ocean away from her husband along with their daughter, Una, um, when she died in 1877. In 2006, the bodies of Hawthorne's wife and daughter were unearthed from London's Kensal Green Cemetery and reentered the United States and were buried next to Nathaniel. So that was a long time after. <laughs> like, like, wow. Yeah. So they were literally separated for 142 years. Yeah. You you know that that was just a cover up because their bodies rose from the grave as the undead and they had to put them back down. And the way they covered that up was by saying, Oh, we're moving them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did forget about that whole uh, zombie the, apocalypse. The zombie of upheaval of 2006. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where was I? I don't even remember. I was, I was in New York drinking. And hitting taxis with pizza trays with Jesse Luttrell. <laughs> That's why you don't remember. <laughs> I was drunk and throwing pizza no, at people. Actually, 2006 was when I did cats. So I was probably drunk. So and I was drunk and throwing, throwing pizza at people. So people like a cat does. <laughs> All right. So that was fun facts about Mr. Nathaniel Hawthorne. <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> to 
today. What the fuck is happening? I don't know. Today you will be reading, hopefully. Uh, doc- I forgot I'm supposed to play the straight man in this show. That's what's happening. I love it. It's great. <laughs> I feel like the tables have turned. We are 37 minutes into this episode. And we're about to start the story. <laughs> So today's story is called Dr. Heidegger's Experiment by Nathaniel Hawthorne. It was originally published anonymously in 1837, and it was later published in Hawthorne's collection Twice Told Tales, also in 1837. Let's start this fire. Dr. Heidegger's Experiment by Nathaniel Hawthorne. That very singular man, old Dr. Heidegger, once invited four venerable friends to meet him in his study. There were three white-bearded gentlemen, Mr. Medbourne, Colonel Killigrew, and Mr. Gascon, and a withered gentlewoman whose name was Widow Witcherly. So we now know that this story is the inspiration for Clue, <laughs> the Yes. Game. <laughs> yep. Let's join in the study. These four like people with very funny names. One of them says is Killigrew, Witcherly. Come on, like <laughs> Medborn. Medborn and Gas. <laughs> He's a farty guy. <laughs> and then there's Mr. Heidegger. Yep. Yep. So we got we got the clue board here. Uh, they were all melancholy old creatures who had been unfortunate in life and whose greatest misfortune it was that they were not long ago in their graves. I like this voice you put on for this, game, this narrator. Yes, laugh at that and then listen back to the last part of that sentence. I'm going to reread it because I don't think you clocked it. They were all melancholy old creatures who had been unfortunate in life and whose greatest misfortune it was that they were not long ago in their graves. Wait, are, wait, what? There we go. Now she's on board. They were not long ago in their graves? That's what it says. Oh, wait. So we are talking about zombies. (laughs) We were right all along. (laughs) Mr. Medbourne, in the vigor of his age, had been a prosperous merchant, but had lost his all by a frantic speculation and was no little better than a mendicant. Ooh, what's that? I don't know. (laughs) A mendicant, which is an adjective of given to begging. So a beggar. Oh, okay. So he was a... Bad, bad, uh, bad businessman who, like, little better than a beggar, yeah. a beggar. Yeah. and was no little better than a mendicant. Colonel Killigrew had wasted his best years and his health and substance in the pursuit of sinful pleasures, which had given birth to a brood of pains such as the gout and diverse other torments of soul and body. That was a nice way of saying he has syphilis. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That was a really nice way of saying he was riddled with STIs. Mr. Gascoigne was a ruined politician, a man of evil fame, or at least had been so, till time had buried him from the knowledge of the present generation and made him obscure instead of infamous. So this is what we hope Mitch McConnell will be. (laughs) 
<laughs> As for the widow Witcherly, tradition tells us that she was a great beauty in her day, but for a long while past, she had lived in deep seclusion on account of certain scandalous stories which had prejudiced the gentry of the town against her. It that is a sucks. So she was, she's actually cool. She just, people gossiped about her and it pissed her off, so she stopped she's, hanging out she's, in public. She's cool. She's got a reputation for being a little hoey. A little, well, it, that's the gossip. It doesn't say she I actually ever did that. I said she got a reputation for being a little hoey. I think it's because her name's Witch. I think she was like the city, the, the town witch. <laughs> it is a circumstance worth mentioning that each of these three old gentlemen, Mr. Medbourne, Colonel Killigrew, and Mr. Gascoigne, were early lovers of the widow Witcherly <gasps> and had once been on the point of cutting each other's throats for her sake. Oh, damn! And before proceeding further, I will merely hint that Dr. Heidegger and all his four guests were sometimes thought to be a little beside themselves, as is not unfrequently the case with old people, when worried either by present troubles or woeful recollections. Well, that is an intro. Okay, so we have a bunch of undead people gathered in Dr. Heidegger's study for some sort of experiment. Three of them were once courting the one lady, and they were all considered a little off the rocker by the general people. Yeah. All right. This sounds like a fun room. <laughs> My dear friends, said Dr. Heidegger, motioning them to be seated, I am desirous of your assistance in one of those little experiments with which I amuse myself here in my study. If all stories were true, Dr. Heidegger's study must have been a very curious place. It was a dim, old-fashioned chamber, festooned with cobwebs and besprinkled with antique dust. <laughs> Around the walls stood several oaken bookcases, the lower shelves of which were filled with rows of gigantic folios and black-lettered quartos, and the upper with little parchment-covered duodecimos. Duodecimos? Oh, there's like math? That's, that sounds like something to do with, like... Duodecimos. Duodecimal is adjective relating to or denoting a system of counting or numerical notation that has a 12 as a base. As a noun, oh. it is the system of the duodecimal notation. So yeah, it's it's like paperwork of right. like basically his finances and like, you know, like Yeah. All right. Over the central bookcase was a bronze bust of Hippocrates, with which, according to some authorities, Dr. Heidegger was accustomed to hold consultations in all difficult cases of his practice. That's comforting. Yeah, that's this not doctor great. has conference with a statue of Hippocrates <laughs> when he can't figure out what's wrong with a patient. That's rough. Uh, we love medicine in the 1800s. Oof. It was super, super legit. Yeah. You have an imbalance of the humors. I'm going to cut you open, drain your blood, and give you cocaine. You don't feel good. I'm going to put these leeches on you and lobotomize you. It'll make you feel better. <laughs> 
In the obscurest corner of the room stood a tall and narrow oaken closet with its door ajar within which doubtfully appeared a skeleton. Because it wouldn't be a doctor's room in the 1800s without one. <laughs> Between two of the bookcases hung a looking glass presenting its high and dusty plate within a tarnished gilt frame. Among many wonderful stories related of this mirror, it was fabled that the spirits of all the doctor's deceased patients dwelt within its verge and would stare him in the face whenever he looked thitherward. Okay, that's terrifying. <laughs> Why does he have so many deceased patients? <laughs> Probably because he's consulting with a bus. <laughs> so he talks to Hippocrates, he has a pet skeleton, and he keeps the souls of all his dead patients in, <laughs> in a mirror. mirror. We're, and apparently he has four de recently dead people in his office. That's what it sounds like. I'm sort of confused by that. We're going to find out. I, I, we're going to find out. I'm in it, though. This is weird. I like it. The opposite side of the chamber was ornamented with the full-length portrait of a young lady arrayed in the faded magnificence of silk, satin, and brocade, and with a visage as faded as her dress. Above half a century ago, Dr. Heidegger had been on the point of marriage with this young lady, but being affected with some slight disorder, she had swallowed one of her lover's prescriptions and died on the bridal evening. Uh, so she swallowed one of Dr. Heidegger's pills and yep. died on the she, night of their wedding? She OD'd on her wedding night. Oh, Lord. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. The greatest curiosity of the study remains to be mentioned. It was a ponderous folio volume bound in black leather with massive silver clasps. There were no letters on the back, and nobody could tell the title of the book, but it was well known to be a book of magic. And once, when a chambermaid had lifted it merely to brush away the dust, the skeleton had rattled in its closet. The picture of the young lady had stepped one foot upon the floor, and several ghastly faces had peeped forth from the mirror while the brazen head of Hippocrates frowned and said, Forbear. Oh, fuck no. This is like the haunted mansion. Like, this is some creepy ass shit. What? Such was Dr. Heidegger's study. On the summer afternoon of our tale, a small round table as black as ebony stood in the center of the room, sustaining a cut glass vase of beautiful form and workmanship. The sunshine came through the window between the heavy festoons of two faded damask curtains and fell directly across this vase, so that a mild splendor was reflected from it on the ashen visages of the five old people who sat around. Four champagne glasses were also on the table. I wouldn't drink that champagne if he's not drinking it. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. <laughs> That might be why they're recently dead. <laughs> I'm wondering if somehow that turn of phrase means something different. Like, the, like they were not ago. far from their grave yeah. is what I think. I think they were all just really old. They're just all super old. Yeah. yeah. That's what I heard when you first read it. And then I was like, ooh, that's a weird way yeah. to say that. Weird I way think, to say that. I think it's that they are about to die. Yeah. They're all super old. They're all like, like they're all 43, basically in 44. Back in the day. Yeah. They're about, <laughs> they're about 41 years old and like. Basically in hospice. 
My dear friends, repeated Dr. Heidegger, may I reckon on your aid in performing an exceedingly curious experiment? Now, Dr. Heidegger was a very strange old gentleman whose eccentricity had become the nucleus for a thousand fantastic stories. Some of these fables, to my shame be it spoken, might possibly be traced back to my own voracious self. And if any passages of the present tale should startle the reader's faith, I must be content to bear the stigma of a fiction monger. <laughs> wow. There's a, a little, uh, what's the word? It's like... Don't, it's, it's, it's a disclaimer. Disclaimer. That's my. That's a nice disclaimer right yep. there. <laughs> this is gonna freak you out, and if you can't believe me, then I meant it to then be it's fiction. Totally fiction. It didn't happen. Yeah, at I totally all. made this up. This would never happen in real life. Mm. When the doctor's four guests heard him talk of his proposed experiment, they anticipated nothing more wonderful than the murder of a mouse in an air pump or the examination of a cobweb by the microscope or some similar nonsense with which he was constantly in the habit of pestering his intimates. But without waiting for a reply, Dr. Heidegger hobbled across the chamber and returned with some ponderous folio bound in black leather, which common report affirmed to be a book of magic. Undoing the silver clasps, he opened the volume and took from among its black letter pages a rose, or what was once a rose, though now the green leaves and crimson petals had assumed one brownish hue, and the ancient flowers seemed ready to crumble to dust in the doctor's hands. Ominous. This rose, said Dr. Heidegger with a sigh, this same withered and crumbling rose blossomed five and fifty years ago it was given me by Sylvia Ward whose portrait hangs yonder and I meant to wear it in my bosom at our wedding five and fifty years it has been treasured between the leaves of this old volume now would you deem it possible that this rose of half a century could ever bloom again? Nonsense, said the widow witcherly with a peevish toss of her head. You might as well ask whether an old woman's wrinkled face could ever bloom again. See, answered Dr. Heidegger. He uncovered the vase and threw the faded rose into the water which it contained. At first it lay lightly on the surface of the fluid, appearing to imbibe none of its moisture. Soon, however, a singular change began to be visible. The crushed and dried petals stirred and assumed a deepening tinge of crimson as if the flower were reviving from a death-like slumber. The slender stalk and twigs of foliage became green, and there was a rose of half a century looking as fresh as when Sylvia Ward had first given it to her lover. 
It was scarcely full-blown, for some of its delicate red leaves curled modestly around its moist bosom, <laughs> within which two or three dewdrops were sparkling. This is certainly a very pretty deception, said the doctor's friends, careless, however, for they had witnessed greater miracles at the conjurer's show. Pray, how was it affected? Mm -hmm. Did you ever hear of the Fountain of Youth? asked Dr. Heidegger, Ooh. which Ponce de Leon, the Spanish adventurer, went in search of two or three centuries ago. But did Ponce de Leon ever find it? said the widow witcherly. No, answered Dr. Heidegger, for he never sought it at the right place. The famous fountain of youth, if I am rightly informed, is situated in the southern part of the Floridian Peninsula, not far from Lake Macaco. <laughs> oh no, oh no, it's in Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> oh fuck! Now I know why all the old people moved to Florida. The fountain of youth is there. Yep. Ah, oh, shit. We gotta get it away from DeSantis. Save the fountain of youth. Lake Macaco. Save the fountain of youth. I feel like that's gonna be on protest signs in a week. Save the fountain of youth. Save the fountain of youth. Save the fountain of youth. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be protested in Florida, but oh my god, if the Fountain of Youth is there, we gotta deal with this shit. No. <laughs> its source is overshadowed by several magnolias, which, though numberless centuries old, have been kept as fresh as violets by the virtues of this wonderful water. An acquaintance of mine, knowing my curiosity in such matters, has sent me what you see in the vase. Ahem. <laughs> said Colonel Killigrew, who <laughs> believed not a word of the doctor's story. And what may be the effect of this fluid on the human frame? You shall judge for yourself, my dear Colonel, replied Dr. Hedegar. And that's, He's like, dude, that's why you're here. Calm down. <laughs> and all of you, my respected friends, are welcome to so much of this admirable fluid as may restore to you the bloom of youth. For my own part, having had much trouble in growing old, I am in no hurry to grow young again. With your permission, therefore, I will merely watch the progress of the experiment. That sounds sketchy as hell. He's like, I just don't want to drink it myself in case it does something bad. So I'm just going to watch y'all do it. And I'm going to make sure it doesn't kill you first. Then I'll like send you on your way and uh, you'll never see me again. Bye. I've seen flowers for Algernon. Thanks. <laughs> While he spoke, Dr. Heidegger had been filling the four champagne glasses with the water of the Fountain of Youth. Like I said, don't drink out of those four fan If they're, he ain't going to drink it. it. I mean, I learned this at any Wild West thing. You don't drink the liquid in front of people if the person that gave it to you doesn't drink it. That's not good. It was apparently impregnated with an effervescent gas, for little bubbles were continually ascending from the depths of the glasses and bursting in a silvery spray at the surface. As the liquor diffused a pleasant perfume, the old people doubted now that it possessed cordial and comfortable properties. 
and though utter skeptics as to its rejuvenescent power, they were inclined to swallow it at once. But Dr. Heidegger besought them to stay a moment. Before you drink, my respectable old friends, said he, it would be well that with the experience of a lifetime to direct you, you should draw up a few general rules for your guidance in passing a second time through the perils of youth. Think what a sin and shame it would be if, with your peculiar advantages, you should not become patterns of virtue and wisdom to all the young people of the age. Okay, so now this is the ultimate question of if you could go back and repeat your life. or Knowing what you know now. And then be 15 years old now with the knowledge you have as a 40-year-old. Like, what would you do with it? Yeah. So (laughs) here we go. Let's find out. The doctor's four venerable friends made him no answer except by a feeble and tremulous laugh. So very ridiculous was the idea that knowing how closely repentance treads behind the steps of error, they should ever go astray again. Drink then, said the doctor, bowing. I rejoice that I have so well selected the subjects of my experiment. Oh no. With palsied hands, they raised the glasses to their lips. The liquor, if it really possessed such virtues as Dr. Heidegger imputed to it, could not have been bestowed on four human beings who needed it more woefully. They looked as if they had never known what youth or pleasure was, but had been the offspring of nature's dotage, and always the gray, decrepit, sapless, miserable creatures who now sat stooping round the doctor's table without life enough in their souls or bodies to be animated even by the prospect of growing young again. Wow, that was rough. I mean, damn, damn. He's just like, these old people are so old, I can't imagine they ever were anything else. How old was he when he wrote this story? Uh, I was in 1930. 37, so... Wait, no. In 1937. He was long dead. Um, Ah, which is why this story makes sense. 1837. Um, Oh, yeah, he was 33 years old. Okay. Now, this guy's at least... Dr. Heidegger's at least 55. And that's if he was getting married when he was born. So, I'm guessing he's at least 70. 70s possibly 80s possibly 80s yeah. so and i'm guessing the rest of them are as yeah. well roughly they're probably a little younger than him but yeah um they drank off the water and replaced their glasses on the table assuredly there was an almost immediate improvement in the aspect of the party not unlike what might have been produced by a glass of generous wine Together with a sudden glow of cheerful sunshine brightening over all their visages at once. I was going to say whiskey will do that too. <laughs> Just a nice shot of whiskey. You're like, ooh, I feel so warm and happy. That's what it is. This is strictly placebo effect. Well, let's he find just, out. You just filled it with sparkling water. They're actually all 33 years old. They just like are so miserable that they look like they're 90. It's like... There was a healthful suffusion on their cheeks instead of the ashen hue that had made them look so corpse-like. 
They gazed at one another and fancied that some magic power had really begun to smooth away the deep and sad inscriptions which Father Time had been so long engraving on their brows. The widow Witcherly adjusted her cap, for she felt almost like a woman again. "'Give us more of this wondrous water,' cried they eagerly. "'We are younger, but we are still too old. "'Quick, give us more.' "'We're so old! We need more!' <laughs> "'Patience, patience,' quoth Dr. Heidegger, "'who sat watching the experiment with philosophic coolness. "'You have been a long time growing old, surely. "'You might be content to grow young in half an hour. "'But the water is at your service.' "'Again he filled their glasses with the liquor of youth, "'enough of which still remained in the vase "'to turn half the old people in the city "'to the age of their own grandchildren.' Oh. "'While the bubbles were... Yet sparkling on the brim, the doctor's four guests snatched their glasses from the table and swallowed the contents in a single gulp. Was it delusion? Even while the draft was passing down their throats, it seemed to have wrought a change in their whole systems. Their eyes grew clear and bright. A dark shade deepened among the silvery locks. They sat round the table, three gentlemen of middle age and a woman hardly beyond her buxom prime. Ooh, her boobies lifted. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> She got all tight and perky. She's like, hi. I So I have this visual of what's going on is like the opposite of what happens when uh, he drinks from the Holy Grail and he chooses poorly, the, the Nazi guy. Oh, we're in Indiana Jones now. Yeah, all sorry. Right. Uh, yeah, and so, because I see these people drinking from cups, and so my brain goes to that scene in Indiana Jones. Sure, every so, time I see a cup, I think of Indiana Jones. <laughs> I mean, in this situation, it's like the Fountain of Youth. I mean, that's literally... And the Last Crusade. And the Last yes. Um, but uh, I see the opposite happening. So instead of him, like becoming a dust skeleton in like 30 seconds they're like regressing which is super weird so yeah i'm i'm interested to see where this goes because something tells me it's not a happy <laughs> no this feels like too good to be true yeah my dear widow you are charming oh no cried colonel killigrew whose eyes had been fixed upon her face while the shadows of age were flitting from it like darkness from the crimson daybreak Oh, no, they're going to fight over the lake. The fair widow knew of old that Colonel Killigrew's compliments were not always measured by sober truth. <laughs> so she started up and ran to the mirror, still dreading that the ugly visage of an old woman would meet her gaze. Meanwhile, the three gentlemen behaved in such a manner as proved that the water of the Fountain of Youth possessed some intoxicating qualities, unless, indeed, their exhilaration of spirits were merely a lightsome dizziness caused by the sudden removal of the weight of years. Um, that was a really fancy way of saying they felt a tingle in their dingle, and it got a little, it got a little hard. <laughs> <laughs> they felt a tingle in their dingle. And there we have the title of the episode, A Tingle in the Dingle. But like really, 
Yes, it's like all these men were like, oh, whoa, all of a sudden this weight from years has been lifted in intoxicated quality. And like, ooh, as the widow like ran across and was like, oh my God, I'm young. Yep. <laughs> she gets tight and perky and they get a tingle in their the dingle. Fountain of youth, y'all. Mr. Gascoigne's mind seemed to run on political topics, but whether relating to the past, present, or future could not easily be determined since the same ideas and phrases have been in vogue these 50 years. Now he rattled forth full-throated sentences about patriotism, national glory, and the people's rights. Now he muttered some perilous stuff or other in a sly and doubtful whisper, so cautiously that even his own conscience could scarcely catch the secret. And now again he spoke in measured accents and a deeply deferential tone, as if a royal ear were listening to his well-turned periods. Colonel Killigrew, all this time, had been trolling forth a jolly battle song and wringing his glass toward the buxom figure of the widow Witcherly. His glass. <laughs> <laughs> wringing his glass. glass. On the other side of the table, Mr. Medbourne was involved in a calculation of dollars and cents in which was strangely intermingled a project for supplying the East Indies with ice by harnessing a team of whales to the polar icebergs. That sounds like a great idea. We're going to go capture some wild whales, put them on leashes... And attach them to icebergs. And that's how we will supply the world with ice. Now we know why he did not succeed in business. Without, even though he was even trying. Even though he was trying, yes. <laughs> da, 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 da. As for the widow Witcherly, she stood before the mirror, curtsying and simpering to her own image, and greeting it as the friend whom she loved better than all the world beside. She thrust her face close to the glass to see whether some long-remembered wrinkle or crow's foot had indeed vanished. She examined whether the snow had so entirely melted from her hair that the venerable cap could be safely thrown aside. At last, turning briskly away, she came with a sort of dancing step to the table. "'My dear old doctor!' cried she. "'Pray favor me with another glass.' <laughs> "'Certainly, my dear madam, certainly,' replied the complacent doctor. "'See, I have already filled the glasses.' "'I hate this. He is up to no good.' <laughs> "'There, in fact, stood the four glasses, brimful of this wonderful water, "'the delicate spray of which, as it effervesced from the surface, "'resembled the tremulous glitter of diamonds.' It was now so nearly sunset that the chamber had grown duskier than ever, but a mild and moon-like splendor gleamed from within the vase and rested alike on the four guests and on the doctor's venerable figure. He sat in a high-backed, elaborately carved oaken chair with a gray dignity of aspect that might have well befitted that very father time, whose power had never been disputed, save by this fortunate company. 
Even while quaffing the third draft of the Fountain of Youth, they were almost awed by the expression of his mysterious visage. Do you think this LaCroix works like, uh, like this sparkly uh, Fountain of Youth water? Yes, I think it's exactly the same. Oh, my boobs do, do feel like <laughs> Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's the Fountain of Youth. <laughs> I love it. The next moment, the exhilarating gush of young life shot through their veins. Mm -hmm. They were now in the happy prime of youth. Age, with its miserable train of cares and sorrows and diseases, was remembered only as the trouble of a dream from which they had joyously awoke. The fresh gloss of the soul so early lost, and without which the world's successive scenes had been but a gallery of faded pictures, again threw its enchantment over all their prospects. They felt like new created beings in a new created universe. We are young! We are young! they cried exultingly. Youth, like the extremity of age, had effaced the strongly marked characteristics of middle life and mutually assimilated them all. They were a group of merry youngsters almost maddened with the exuberant frolicsomeness of their years. The most singular effect of their gaiety was an impulse to mock the infirmity and decrepitude of which they had so lately been victims. Don't mock the old people with canes. They're going to whack you, you youth. <laughs> like, we just talked about this. Yep. Wow, I, I did is, not plan any of this. This is great. <laughs> is, he, is he wearing all white? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> they laughed loudly at their old-fashioned attire, the wide-skirted coats and flapped waistcoats of the young men, and the ancient cap and gown of the blooming girl. One limped across the floor like a gouty grandfather. One set a pair of spectacles astride of his nose and pretended to pore over the black letter pages of the Book of Magic. The third seated himself in an armchair and strove to imitate the venerable dignity of Dr. Heidegger. Okay, we gotta pause for a second because I just realized something that I definitely did not do on purpose. Our killer clown mm -hmm. killed the youth that was mocking him in night in 1836. This story was written in 1837. Oh, I shit. kid you fucking not. I just went back and looked at the date. All right. Whoa! <laughs> That's super weird. All right. Uh, don't mock old people. Let's. Uh, don't mock clowns. Don't mock old people. Going. You're gonna be a youth and you're gonna get whacked with a cane. I wonder. If this is a confession. <laughs> this is actually the court transcript. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm into it. I just had to pause there and go, whoa, I did not even put that together. Cool. Then all shouted mirthfully and leaped about the room. The widow Witcherly, if so fresh a damsel could be called a widow, 
tripped up to the doctor's chair with a mischievous merriment in her rosy face. Doctor, you dear old soul, she cried, get up and dance with me. And then the four young people laughed louder than ever to think what a queer figure the poor old doctor would cut. Pray, excuse me, answered the doctor quietly. I am old and rheumatic, and my dancing days were over long ago. But either of these gay young gentlemen will be glad of so pretty a partner. Oh, no. Dance with me, Clara, cried <laughs> Colonel Killigrew. She promised me her hand fifty years ago, exclaimed Mr. Medbourne. They all gathered around her. One caught both of her hands in his passionate grasp. Another threw his arm about her waist. A third buried his... Where'd he bury his hand? The third buried his <laughs> hand among the curls that clustered beneath the widow's cap. Blushing, panting, struggling, chiding, laughing, her warm breath fanning each of their faces by turns, she strove to disengage herself, yet still remained in their triple embrace. Never was there a livelier picture of youthful rivalship with bewitching beauty for the prize. Use... Uh, it's the fountain of youth orgy. <laughs> <laughs> Yet, by a strange deception, owing to the duskiness of the chamber and the antique dresses which they still wore, the tall mirror is said to have reflected the figures of three old grey withered grandsires ridiculously contending for the skinny ugliness of a shriveled grandam. But they were young. Their burning passions proved them so. Inflamed to madness by the coquetry of the girl widow, who neither granted nor quite withheld her favors, the three rivals began to interchange threatening glances. Still keeping hold of the fair prize, they grappled fiercely at one another's throats. As they struggled to and fro, the table was overturned, and the vase dashed into a thousand fragments. The precious water of youth flowed into a bright stream across the floor, moistening the wings of a butterfly which, grown old in the decline of summer, had alighted there to die. The insect fluttered lightly through the chamber and settled on the snowy head of Dr. Heidegger. Oh, no, the tingle in their dingle is too much. This yeah. is bad. <laughs> Get your hormones under control, people. Come, come, gentlemen, come, Madam Witcherly, exclaimed the doctor. I think they're about to. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Hell of a superpower. Yeah. You can um, just say, come, gentlemen, come, gentlemen. come Madam Witcherly. I mean, Pfft. it seems like they're on the verge. I really must protest against this riot. They stood still and shivered, for it seemed as if gray time were calling them back from their sunny youth, far down into the chill of darksome veil of years. They looked at old Dr. Heidegger, who sat in his carved armchair, holding the rose of half a century which he had rescued from among the fragments of the shattered vase. At the motion of his hand, the rioters resumed their seats, the more readily because their violent exertions had wearied them, youthful though they were. 
My poor Sylvia's rose, ejaculated <laughs> Dr. Heidegger. Oh, no! See, he did. He came. <laughs> and he's old. <laughs> he was telling the others to, but it just got him really excited. He's so excited. <laughs> Yay, we haven't had an ejaculated in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been too long since an ejaculation. And this is an elderly ejaculation. It, it, ah, it's a, that's fun. That's exciting. <laughs> there is hope for the future. <laughs> Poor Sylvia's rose, ejaculated Dr. Heidegger, holding it in the light of the sunset clouds. It appears to be fading again. Uh-oh. And so it was. Even while the party were looking at it, the flower continued to shrivel up till it became as dry and fragile as when the doctor had first thrown it into the vase. He shook off a few drops of moisture which clung to its petals. I love it as well thus as in its dewy freshness, observed he, pressing the withered rose to his withered lips. While he spoke, the butterfly fluttered down from the doctor's snowy head and fell upon the floor. His guests shivered again. A strange dullness, whether of the body or spirit they could not tell, was creeping gradually over them all. They gazed at one another and fancied that each fleeting moment snatched away a charm and left a deepening furrow where none had been before. Was it an illusion? Had the changes of a lifetime been crowded into so brief a space, and were they now four aged people sitting with their old friend, Dr. Heidegger? We are grown old again so soon, cried they dolefully. In truth, they had. The water of youth possessed merely a virtue more transient than that of wine. The delirium which it created had effervesced away. Yes, they were old again, with a shuddering impulse that showed her a woman still, the widow clasped her skinny hands over her face and wished that the coffin lid were over it since it could no longer be beautiful. Damn. Yes, friends, ye are old again, said Dr. Heidegger, and lo, the water of youth is all lavished on the ground. Well, I bemoan it not, for if the fountain gushed at my doorstep, I would not stoop to bathe my lips in it, no, though its delirium were for years instead of moments. Such is the lesson ye have taught me. But... The doctor's four friends had taught no such lesson to themselves. They resolved forthwith to make a pilgrimage to Florida and to quaff at morning, noon, and night from the fountain of youth. The end. Is this why old people retire in Florida? Did they read this story and they think it's there? I Is now this really why everyone in know. Florida's crazy? I now really want to know when the the sort of tradition, not a tradition, the habit, the tendency of people to retire in Florida the snowbird, started. Like going to Florida, yeah. Well, and also how weird that the like, I did not purposefully pick a story that was like within a year of the clown that yeah. killed someone. <laughs> 
Now, no one died in this, but it was a story about youths, like, mocking age and, like, being ungrateful at age and their elders. So, interesting. Interesting. And what the hell, Florida? Well, (laughs) there's, like, 80 years between this story and... Um, the retirement communities that started well, popping up in Florida. Flo- when did Florida become a state? It became a state in 1845. Okay, so seven years after this came out. I feel like this was just a big like advertisement for Florida. <laughs> uh, so it had only been a United States territory at this point for 15 years. Okay. Yep. And it had been under Spanish control, yes, which is the Ponce de Leon. Like, he was the one that went in search of the fountain of youth. Right. But he went the wrong way. Yeah. He, like, pulled a Columbus, but the other way. Yeah. <laughs> he went in search of the fountain of youth and went that way. Columbus went in search of India and went this way. And, you know, they, they both fucked up. Yeah. But uh, are told that they didn't. Yeah. Yes, but Ponce de Leon was the first uh, European Okay. To to settle. So he did find the Fountain of Youth. <laughs> it's um, in fucking Florida. It's in Florida. It's That's in the Everglades. You just have to uh, personally wrestle an alligator and uh, choke a python out for you to be able to get to the Fountain of Youth. That's actually the thing is the Fountain of Youth isn't actually a fountain. What happens is every time you choke out an alligator... Your your aging process is paused for one month. Oh yeah. And cool. if during that one month you choke out another alligator, you're you revert back one month. So so long as you just keep strangling alligators, you will slowly get younger. Why do the swamp people look so scary? Because <laughs> they don't choke up uh, choke out enough alligators. They kill a lot of alligators. Like the there's like a TV show called Swamp People. Sure, and they sure, be sure. Killing you all the killing them, killing them. Oh. But there's you you have to like you have to choke it out with your bare hands. <laughs> that's that's the way it goes. Oh. Plus the thing is, if you just keep getting younger and younger and younger but doing more and more meth, you still end up really <laughs> scary looking. <laughs> Maybe that's what people think meth is, the fountain of youth. It's not, y'all. <laughs> just saying right now it ain't. Uh wow, that was Hey kids. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. They're not the fountain of youth. I promise you that. Um, Also, don't drink from glasses that old men set in front of you and say, this is the fountain of youth. (laughs) Drink it. Yeah. Listen and die. Yet. (laughs) Yet. We have no idea what happens when they get to Florida. Well, when they get to Florida, they get eaten by an alligator. (laughs) Eaten by an alligator. (laughs) Because they're idiots. Hey, listener. (laughs) What did you think of that one? Did you enjoy that story? Did you relate to that story? (laughs) If you could drink from the fountain of youth and magically go back to being whatever, 15, 20, 25, however old, would you do it? That's what I want to know. Would you go back and become younger if you could? By the knowledge you have now. Um, Always an interesting question. Mm -hmm. When you write in to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or you Google Bing or Yahoo uh, Campfire Classics podcast and figure out how to contact us that way. Please tell us whether or not you would like to go back in time to uh, revisit a younger version of yourself. And when you do, include this week's secret passphrase, which is an elderly ejaculation. Elderly ejaculation. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, 
that's that's well viagra i think started in florida right <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we have to tag the florida men <laughs> have to tag the state of florida the state of florida in this over and over and over. i'm gonna tag desantis in this story <laughs> awesome yeah i don't think i have anything else do you have no, anything I'm else good. that was All fun right. i enjoyed that yeah that that took some turns so let us know what you thought and until next week uh this has been campfire classics where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf i really want some sparkling water now that like gives me a tingle in my day once Drink that's, some. that's the new advertisement for LaCroix when they sponsor us. LaCroix, a tingle in your name.